The CFB Winning Edge podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. All of the projections we reference during the show are available to our patrons before we record each week. Tier 2 and Tier 3 supporters also receive exclusive access to our 2020 FBS team profiles, which include daily updated player ratings, depth charts, and point spread projections, plus our team and player stat projections database. Visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge to learn more. Welcome back, everybody. It's College Football Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge. Follow him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge and Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E on the Twitter. Uh, this was a choppy week. We had games, uh, you know, we had one game on Thanksgiving, we had games on Friday, we had games on Saturday, uh, I feel all discombobulated, boys, because <laughs> my Steelers just played their Week 12 game uh, right before we started recording this on a Wednesday afternoon. <sighs> so it's been a weird week. But, uh, Nick, without going over all of the scores and everything from this week, what were your big takeaways from uh, the week of college football, Week uh, 13? Yeah, it was a bit of a strange week in the – it, it definitely felt or now feels a little weird because, you know, what we had this past weekend is normally the final week of the regular season. And so uh, to have that Friday after Thanksgiving and, and had some good games. I mean, Notre Dame, North Carolina being the big one was really, really impressed with Notre Dame's defense looked a little uh, shaky early on, but then basically, you know, shut down. Sam Howell and, and those running backs and, and really, really played well defensively looked like a, a, you know, true ACC title contender, national championship type, uh, you know, contender. So uh, that, that though was uh, interesting getting that sort of a, an unexpected uh, big, big game, uh, you know, late in the year, but then some of the, you know, major matchups, Alabama, Auburn, of course, the Iron Bowl being, you know, kind of the, the end of the season, the biggest game at the end of the season, uh, most of the past decade at least. And uh, it's strange now to be looking at a full, you know, other week of games in, in week 14 and then almost a full week uh, next week in, in week 15. And we're going to have, uh, you know, championship weekend is also going to have some regular season games. We're going to have some bowls, I think, start before uh, some regular season games are, are – uh, finished. It's it's definitely weird. Everybody knows it's weird, but uh, yeah, it, it it feels. I think because of of that, it, it almost felt like, hey, you know, the end of the regular season is here, and I don't know if that just sort of lulled me uh, or something, or the fact that there was a bunch <laughs> of games on Friday that that it just seems so far away. I, I don't know if it made any sense, but uh, yeah, the, the biggest, the big, you know, most impressed that I was last week probably was with Notre Dame defensively. Uh, I am very interested to hear your thoughts on Texas. And, and, you know, I don't talk a ton about Mm. guys on the hot seat usually, but interested in you as a Texas fan, your thoughts on Tom Herman losing a game. They probably shouldn't have lost. Most would say, even though we had 
Iowa State favorite, as, as we talked about last week. But uh, curious about that. Uh, interesting, you know, Oregon looked like it was completely in control against Oregon State, ends up losing that game. That, you know, was the, the long shot already probably for the Pac-12 to make it to the playoff. But Oregon losing is is basically uh, the end of that. And then, uh, you know, just a, a couple other things. Alabama, I thought, looked pretty good defensively. Not that Auburn's looked great offensively this year, but Alabama certainly, I think, is is looking like that number one team. Uh, and then, uh, you know, kind of the, the maybe what really stretched last week out. We had games on Thursday, a, a ton on Friday, which felt almost like a normal Saturday. Then we're, you know, getting the occasional, uh, finally, Hawaii late night game to end it all. And uh, the Rainbow Warriors pulled off an upset beat and unbeaten previously unbeaten uh, Nevada while probably most people were sleeping. So long weekend, some interesting things, some, some weird things, but uh, overall, uh, you know, a, a, another solid week and, and excited to look ahead to week 14 as well. Yeah. I mean, the, the Texas game was, um, it, it, it was tough. You know, they, they had their chances, obviously didn't convert. You hate to see Sam go out on his last uh, game at DKR on that type of a note, but Iowa state is better that, sack. that was a pretty bad sack. Yeah. At the end too. Yeah, it was, um, it was an ugly game all the way around. No one looked prepared. The energy was weird. You know, it just, it wasn't a great game. You could kind of feel, you know, some of the players knowing that this was going to be their last game, Sam Cosby and Caden Stearns opting out as soon as the game was over. I mean, Sam wants to play in whatever the bowl game is and then he'll be done too. But um, yeah, it was, uh, wasn't a great game. And I, I was told the, um, you know, the, um, <clears throat> I forgot my, my, I lost my train of thought here. It was um, it, th- this game, Tom Herman probably cemented his legacy and that's going to mm. be a quick, short legacy at Texas. I mean, they finished nine a couple years ago, but that's not, it's not acceptable at Texas. You know, this was, uh, that's what I was told. I was told, this was the biggest win in Iowa State football history is mm. what one of our uh, Iowa State fans uh, said. And, you know, that's it's a huge marker for them. I mean, I hate Brees Hall forever now. So uh, because of what Xavier, uh, Xavier uh, uh, shared with us on our text chain. But um, so I obviously was not happy with this game. But uh, Xavier, your thoughts on this weekend? And, you know, I'm sure you're going to dig at me a little bit. So go ahead. <laughs> I would never do such yeah, a thing. Yeah, yeah, you're not that guy. I, I'm not going <laughs> to put salt in the wounds. Uh, but no, uh, this weekend was 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 weird. I, I will give you that. But it was fun for me. Uh, this weekend, you know, Georgia's not really playing anybody right now, so I get an opportunity to watch all the games for the most part and be as neutral as possible, which, eh. But uh, or Oregon State being Oregon for me was great. I don't like Oregon. Never have liked Oregon from a fan's perspective. They just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, <laughs> so I so I really enjoyed that win. Notre Dame and Book's got to be the best game manager since like AJ McCarron. I, I just let's just let's just put it straight. This I my, but my, is his fiance is good looking. We need to go to Brent Musburger for that. Yes, we do. Uh, maybe if they get to the playoff, we'll get to we'll get to see. But um, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> he's got to be the game best game manager I've seen in a long time. I'm I'm off of my ear. Matt guy. Jones, Matt Jones isn't a game manager anymore. I, that kid can. I, I, I know. That was a, that was a whole thing. 
<laughs> I'm over here like that is at CFB Winning Edge, not at Bogman Sports. Yeah, I don't so. need the Crimson Tide fan base anywhere near my Twitter. <laughs> okay, all right. I, I live in the same. I'm good. Uh, but it was an impressive win. Obviously, North Carolina did exactly what I thought they'd do. They played one half of football, which is something they've done literally all year, uh, even with having a 6-3 and three record uh, after this week. But kudos to Notre Dame. They're two wins away uh, from, a, from an unbeaten season, uh, which would be the third, I believe, for Brian Kelly and his tenure there, uh, going undefeated in the regular season, that, that is. Um, how about the shootout between UCF and South Florida? I don't think anybody saw that coming. Uh, that was a, a really good game when we probably didn't see we, we were going to get one. Um, obviously, my favorite game of the weekend to watch was Michigan State showing everybody in the country that Northwestern isn't the you know the ninth ranked team in the country. That was that was a blast for me. Obviously, I'm a little bit of a Michigan State fan under underneath. Uh, outside of that, and la- in the last part, I'll put it, Scott almost got his wish. Texas A&M looked awful against LSU this week. Uh, they looked really average, um, which. It's shocking that they didn't drop in the college football playoff rankings, uh, but they still, you know, continue to win. So I guess kudos to them. LSU's been playing better defense too. I mean, well, they were horrid in the beginning of the about year. About time. Yeah, yeah. I'm well. I'm not. I'm not sitting here telling you they're playing great defense. But well, I was going to say they're playing actually, better defense. Uh, they, I, I would agree that in in recent weeks they were playing better against Texas A&M. They actually played good defense, which yeah, meant, <laughs> which was yeah. nice to see. Is you know, kind of, kind of hoping for some signs of life, especially heading into this week. A this team is, coming off a national championship, you'd think yeah. it'd be better than it has been, but they finally got back on track. I mean, you know, it, at, in what is supposed to be the end of the season here, so right. <laughs> yeah, fair, I mean, fair enough, fair enough. But when you have backup five stars, I mean, at some point the, the cream is supposed to rise to the top. Uh, Trevor Lawrence looking immaculate in his first game back. I'm really excited for. Clemson Notre Dame part two. I told everybody that I really think Clemson did not play their up to their best in uh, up there playing against Notre Dame earlier this year. I'm really excited for part two of that matchup. Um, and lastly, uh, of course, obviously we, we talked about on last week's show, Georgia State beat Georgia Southern. And it really felt good, especially when it leaked out that they did an interview where they said this game wasn't a rivalry for them. That, that's really, really cute. <laughs> when you have a losing record against us since we formed ourselves as a team 10 years ago. The team is younger than me, and we have a 4-3 and three record against Georgia Southern. So much for it not being a rivalry. We beat you guys. You have the better record. I don't want to hear it anymore. I'm sick of it. Yeah, that, I just wanted to end off of that, get my little rant over. Uh, all right. Well, I mean, you know, this is the time of year where, as Nick mentioned, with Tom Herman being on the hot seat, I mean, it took him – 10 weeks to get to Harbaugh on the hot seat or whatever, but, but now Tom Herman's on the hot seat, but there are a lot of coaches that are uh, on the hot seat and a couple that are just out of uh, Vanderbilt fired Derek Mason this week. Southern miss uh, hired Will Hall as its new head coach. So uh, lots of, there's going to be a lot of moving and shaking this year, even though, you know, Nick, you've mentioned before, COVID is going to save, I think, some jobs too because you have just a built-in excuse for a bad performance. And it's not – I'm not saying teams are going to use that or some coaches are going to be able to duck their firing because of it, but I do think it's going to make it not as harsh as most off-seasons are. But uh, we're already into coaches getting fired and all that good stuff. So 
Uh, Nick, go ahead and uh, talk about some of these coaches. Yeah, it's interesting. I think most of the leading up to the year, my assumption was because of COVID, because of all the financial, uh, you know, impact that that we've seen at universities and college athletics and things like that. I expected it to be a relatively quiet off season and, and didn't expect to see, you know, a lot of programs uh, go for, you know, big buyouts to, to yeah. fire a head coach and hire someone else and probably pay a buyout for their, con- you know, we, we know what the, the, coaching carousel is like and I expected it to look different uh maybe until Will Muschamp got fired and I think at that point I'm starting to I guess realize that you know maybe this offseason is going to be uh basically every you know like every one that that we've had before where there are uh, a lot of uh, guys changing jobs and and you know some high profile uh jobs opening if in fact uh, Texas goes in another direction. If Michigan, you know, I, I still am hesitant to say Michigan would make a move, but I am starting to, uh, you know, They're come around move. more and more on, you know, they they wouldn't uh, fight super hard to keep Harbaugh if an opportunity opens itself in the NFL or, or something like that. But you know, if if one of those two jobs or both of those jobs came open, those would be uh, two premier you know, college football programs that can set a lot of things in motion. And and we've already got two jobs in the SEC open with Muschamp leaving or, you know, uh, being shown the door at South Carolina with Vanderbilt opening. And that's not, of course, the, the, you know, high profile uh, job we, we could see, I guess, in, in the SEC, but those are still desirable jobs. And, and Vanderbilt is uh, a very, very difficult place to win, but, uh, you know, a lot of people have, have brought this up as a great point that the, you know, the, the expectations there are not anywhere close to what they are as a, you know, a Texas or uh, uh, even other teams in the in, uh, South Carolina. The expectations are, are for uh, the Gamecocks to, you know, contend for the SEC East, which is perhaps a little bit, uh, you know, uh, maybe, maybe a little unrealistic to do on a year-to-year basis, but a Vanderbilt, Derek Mason had seven years and uh, never had a winning record, right? And, and it took a, basically a winless season for him to uh, lose that job. So it, it's a, a an interesting thing, and, and there are some candidates out there. I, you know, last week I, Xavier caught me off guard a little bit asking about Frank Beamer. I just hadn't really put him any energy into thinking about filling these jobs, but, you know, kind of need to. And now it's the end of the season's basically here. And and so I have thought about it a little bit this week, and I've, I've actually been thinking more and more about the Vanderbilt job. And, and a lot of people have brought up uh, kind of the ideal uh, person to take that job would be Notre Dame uh, defensive coordinator Clark Lee, who went to Vanderbilt, is a Nashville native. Uh, I, I've heard him uh, a couple of interviews with him. He's a, a really – interesting guy, kind of much different uh, way of speaking, and it seems thinking than a lot of head coaches. I would be very interested to see him take this job. And, and uh sounded like maybe the athletic director at Vanderbilt uh, in some comments that she made after Mason was fired leaned toward uh, saying, hey, we'd love a, a sitting head coach. We'd love an offensive-minded head coach. Neither of those things is, is Clark Lee. 
though on paper he seems like the perfect fit. So who knows? It'll be interesting to see where they go. A name that uh, is getting a, a lot of buzz as well. Will Healy, the Charlotte head coach who was at Austin P, uh, which is in Nashville, so has you know uh, already has some roots there and, and uh, knows the recruiting landscape there. And, and uh, there will be a lot of interesting names and it, it, it'll be, you know, guys like Sean Lewis at Kent state has, has done a good job uh, building that program. Lance Leopold at Buffalo. We saw those two head coaches go against each other this past week. Talk about something uh, to take away from, from last week, uh, Jarrett Patterson, the, the performance yeah, he put yeah. together, but, uh, but yeah. So, I mean, now that we're starting to see, these jobs open and it does seem like there will be you know more than at least i anticipated and we've already seen one filled at, at uh, you know southern miss will hall the Tulane offensive coordinator has been there with uh, has been a head coach at, at a lower level and then also uh you know has, has uh, kind of been part of a system that that has a lot of people excited there at, at Tulane as well so i i don't have any big you know big thoughts necessarily at the moment. I, I, I do always enjoy this time of the year. I, I hate it that people lose jobs and, and especially, you know, right now and, and, uh, and not so much for the head coaches who are going to be taken care of, but there are a lot of people lower down on the ladder that, you know, are not as in good of a, a financial situation that this sort of thing impacts. But, you know, from a college football fan and, and somebody who spends a lot of time working on, college football related stuff. It, it is a fun time of year to explore, you know, Hey, who, who's the next guy? Uh, how is, you know, when a guy's hired, how is this guy going to work? A job like Vanderbilt creates some very unique challenges, but we've seen if you get the right guy in there, like a James Franklin, they can win. So I, I'm, I'm always excited to see uh, the new thing and, and sort of, you know, try to, uh, put my, you know, uh, work into figuring out, okay, you know, how is this going to impact uh, next season and, and beyond? So it is a fun time of year. And as we start to, uh, you know, see some teams wrap up their season, I think there are, you know, uh, almost double digit teams now that are basically, you know, done for the year and, and already into the off season. Uh, it is that time of year for me to start finalizing our, FBS team profiles, making sure all our stuff is correct and ready for the off season. And then, you know, not going to be too, too long until uh, it's time to, uh, you know, hit, hit, uh, create new spreadsheet in uh, <laughs> 2021. So it's, it's an exciting time of year for me, uh, yeah. but coaching, coaching, the coaching cycle, uh, you know, seeing these sort of bigger jobs open and, and seeing some of the first hires happen uh, kind of gets my, my juices flowing a little bit. It's a fun time of year for me. And that's, um, you know, that there's the whatever it is, the second, the late signing day or the early signing mm -hmm. day, however you mm -hmm. want to look at mm -hmm. it coming up too, which is a big part of it. I think it's December 16th yep. is the signing day, which makes a lot of these moves uh, need to happen fairly quick, Xavier. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm excited to see what happens with some of the bigger schools. This might be the first time in a while that we've had this many big schools on the cusp of really, you know, firing their head coaches in a while. Um, you know, if Harbaugh is fired out of Michigan, which I don't think he will this year, but words coming out that he might, uh, you know, same thing. Hold with on, Texas. hold on. You really don't think he's going to get canned this year? I have a strange, strange feeling. I still don't Michigan, think he gets fired. I don't, I don't think know. Michigan pulls the trigger. No, I don't, I don't think, think they do fired. it. I could see. Is any place given odds on it? 
Uh, that that would be know. interesting. I, I, I could mean, see scenarios he's got, where he's not the head coach there next year, but I don't think he's going to get fired. I think, I, think the, I think he leaves if he gets a possible offer from an NFL team that he likes. Um, mm. But I don't think he personally gets hired uh, gets fired from Michigan. However, if he does, I know exactly who they're going after, and I think it's going to be a really good hire to do. I think they go after Venables at Clemson, but that's just me. Um, but he doesn't want to go, right? Hasn't he been offered mm-hmm. a bunch of jobs? Uh, it sounds – He's, yeah. he's been hesitant in the past, but the last thing I read said that now he's thinking maybe he wants to do it, which is interesting because he's got two sons on the team, one of which is a true freshman. But yeah, there was, I, I was reading That's an article a from Tire right there. If he I wants was reading, to move, mm-hmm. I, I was reading go. an article from September 20th that said he wanted he was looking at only jobs that were in the top 30 as far as caliber is concerned. So Texas and Michigan sound like two top 30 caliber jobs, if you ask me, uh, that he would go to. Oh, Those Michigan, are the only- yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yep. You guys should have seen that look I got. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's been think, a long think- day for me, Nick. You're not helping me. <laughs> I think I think he'll I think Harbaugh will stay in Michigan. Um honestly, and, and Scott, you didn't know better than me, but if this is her if this is Herman's last season at Texas, where do you go? This will be what your third coach in yeah, I mean, like I hate seven it. years. So uh, seven, you so and, and, and you know my my professional team that I watch is the Steelers. My and dad don't change coach family. Yeah, <laughs> is from Pittsburgh. My I was born in Texas, and my mom's whole family they they all grew up watching college football. So you know, it, I I do have weird allegiances, but yeah, the Steelers don't change coaches. It's been Cower, it's been Noel Cower and Tomlin. That's mm-hmm. it. In in my lifetime, they had one of the guy I think before uh, Noel, or maybe a couple from the 30s and 40s. But he's mm-hmm. been there. He was there forever as well. So it, it's really weird for me. Um, it's really weird for me to see them burning through coaches like this. But it is, such is life in in college football when you're a big time program and you're not putting wins up. Yeah, I mean, and so I, I really think that we we'll see a big shakeup here. And some of your bigger universities this year, honestly, and I wouldn't be surprised. I'm be honest with you, if we see some, if we see some head scratching moves, not this season, but in the coming seasons, I think there's some universities that really are going to just kind of clean house and try to re restart their universities uh, from 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 scratch. I'm looking at you, Florida State, but you know we'll, we'll see what happens with Mike Norvell in the in the future. But I, like I said, I think the coaching carousel is a good one this year. Uh, I don't know personally, like I said, what Texas is going to do. I think I, I think Michigan is pretty set on what he wants to do, uh, on, on where they want to go if they do end up firing Harbaugh. But I think me and Nick are on the same accord. They're not going to get rid of him this year. I think it would take another season like this year for them to really think about getting rid of him. Uh, because remember, he continues to bring in a really good recruiting class. Next year's recruiting class, I think, currently is ranked second. Um, and he's bringing in a the, the second-ranked uh pro style quarterback in this year's class coming up they're going to give him another opportunity with another quarterback that he might throw in the fire like he did with Shea Patterson like he's done with Dylan McCaffrey but it doesn't matter they'll give him another opportunity to see what happens another yeah, coach a whole you, a whole nother class can get to go visit the Vatican again and, and not beat Ohio State I mean that's that's what it is you know hasn't it been like two or three years in a row he's gone to the Vatican I, I don't know if he's going to be able to travel this year. Though, so that might be a good thing. Hey, that, that might be a beautiful thing. But I mean, the last coach that's I would an say. offseason story I see every time. And I go, why? Why? Like, why? I mean, why are we writing about this? Like, if they're doing that, that's great. It's whatever. But 
why are we writing about this? This is peak offseason stuff, you know, and this is uh, this is what they do. But sorry, I didn't mean that. Cut you Le- Legend says that he goes there, puts a pair of khaki pants down and pours holy water <laughs> over the khaki can- pants before the season starts. Uh, <laughs> well, he needs uh, to find a new tradition and it ain't working. <laughs> burn him this time. Everybody else has. Uh, but yeah, so I think that's where I think that's that's definitely where, where we're looking at. And another coach that might be a little bit on the warm seat after a year like this. Ed Orgeron wasn't liked by a lot of LSU fans when he got there. I know he has a national championship on his hands, but a lot of teams think that team was built before he got there. And I think a lot of people feel if Ed Orgeron has another season like he did this year where he can't translate the talent that's being that's coming to LSU, he'll be gone as well. Because he's been, there's been a lot of skepticism around him as well is when he got there and when he was given the job in the first place. Mm, I disagree with that. I, I think that uh, I mean, and, and certainly it's not unprecedented for you know this the the situation there at LSU is very similar to what happened mm-hmm. at Auburn at the first part of the uh, decade where won the national championship and then you know, really bad follow-up year, and then it, it just sort of continued, or, or sort of, you know, uh, lackluster uh, following year, and then a really bad next year. I think if we saw that, if LSU continued a, a downward trend in 2021, then maybe. But I think that Ed Ogeron specifically has built up enough goodwill. There, there certainly are maybe some in the fan base or some outside, uh, you know, on the outside looking in that, that, didn't love the hire and thought that, of course, he got off to a bad start. Uh, you know, they lost to Troy was was really uh, embarrassing and, and early in his tenure and all. But I think that the 2019 season has bought him some time, and and I, I would be I would be flabbergasted if if he uh, doesn't uh, stay there for a couple more years. And I think it'll take a bad year to to. Oh. Getting it, I, 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 it won't take a bad year. It's going to take that bad USA Today article. And, and that's a good that point. No, that's getting, a good point. If, that's, if, another thing. Uh, that's something that should always be, uh, you know, I mean, that's part not of any of these conversations. Is, is yeah. if, any, if any of the off the field, really, really ugly uh, stuff that could, then absolutely I would be, I'd be on board if, if, uh, if that were the case, if it proved to be that, that, uh, that were were necessary of making a move, but on the field, I right. would be I okay. would I would be shocked if if his on the field performance led to him being fired in the next you know two years. Yeah, there are some guys that just you know you win a national championship, you know you know you uh, get to a New Year's Six Bowl for your program for the first time in 10, 20 years. Like you you just you have earned yourself some goodwill to stay there. And and Ed Orgeron on the field stuff absolutely. Ha- has but uh you know way more than jim harbaugh and harbaugh is still at michigan you know i was gonna say yeah Yeah. he hasn't and i think that's the most surprising thing to me as to why you see so many of these guys you know tom herman's four years and out uh and most likely i mean it may not happen this year but it seems like and it's gonna cost texas 15 million bucks if they they do fire him they do uh but uh you know it's not something you want to happen you don't want to pay this guy 15 million bucks to go away it's just weird that you see those you know those things specifically add up for a coach to stick around they have so much goodwill they did so much good in the past that they you know they can go through some rough seasons but uh you know harbaugh it you know herman's gonna get canned without really getting a full shot 
I think I, you know, get, give a guy six or seven years, you know, that that's, that's my opinion. I know Texas fans are frustrated and I am too, but um, you got to give him a little more time, but I don't know if he's going to keep like Tom Herman. Like <laughs> I, 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 I'm like lukewarm on, on, mm. on Tom Herman. I was really excited when they hired him. I thought it was a, a great hire. Yeah. You know, he, he seemed those first two years seemed to go real well and three and four now with his full recruiting class and all that stuff. These guys can't tackle, um, you know, that there uh, there's some bad play calling going on. Uh, you know, Brennan Eagles has a million drops on the season. So that there's a lot of little things adding up to where you just look at it and you go, well, this is just it's coaching. You know, you have the athletes, you have the five star guys, you have some of the best recruiting classes nationally ranked, all that good stuff. And, and it's still not panning out that has to be on the coaches. So, um, it, it's unfortunate, but I, I'm not, I'm not going to cry tears. If he like, I was like, get Charlie strong out of here at the end because it was going real bad. That's fair. That's fair. Th this time I'm like, well, if they give him another couple years, fine. But I mean, they got to get, they got to get to the playoff and one of the two for him to stick around. And I don't, you know, losing your senior quarterback and putting someone brand new in there. Uh, is probably not going to get him there. So we'll, no. we'll see. You know, uh, I I won't be upset if they keep him, but I also I'm not going to cry if they fire mm. him and, and hire someone else. And I'll probably be more excited about a new hire, to be honest with you. So when you uh, hire Dana Hogerson, you'll be excited. You know, Xavier, <laughs> you just you're just trying to you're just trying to get me. You're just trying, and I'm not going to let you. I'm not going to let you get me today. All right. <laughs> So, so let's stop with that. When they hire Matt Campbell, I'll be really, really happy. So, um, no, I, I, that would be a great hire. I don't know if that's going to happen. It, well, <laughs> it shouldn't, uh, but <laughs> if, if, if he should go to the NFL, if anyone's going to the NFL, it should be Matt Campbell, but, uh, you know, he's done a great job at Iowa state and, uh, I would totally respect the decision for him to stay there because he's built it up. It's been great. But let's talk about uh, some of the scheduling stuff that's been going on here, Nick, because there are reports swirling around that Coastal Carolina could host BYU if the COVID issues. We just saw Malik Willis uh, uh, is out with COVID for Liberty, and they might not be able to play this week. So I know that BYU is prepping for Coastal Carolina like they were for Washington, obviously they couldn't get that stuff done. Uh, la was that last week already, or two weeks ago? I, I don't know. That was that was last week because yeah, yeah because uh, after we recorded, and this is why it feels like it happened a month ago. But right, uh, Colorado and USC were still supposed, or were still on the schedule last week. USC had to cancel because of COVID issues. Colorado scheduled San Diego State, but we were thinking that BYU might, you know, yeah. And then Washington was uh, uh, late added uh, Utah. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so this is the report. Obviously there's, um, you know, uh, a bunch of cancellations already. Uh, not a surprise, you know, with the numbers bumping up across the country. I mean, we had a 10,000 day yesterday uh, of positive cases in Arizona. So uh, there's been a bunch of, canceled games a bunch of games postponed a bunch moving around i think maryland and michigan was canceled today northwestern minnesota done but that would be an interesting game to to see and i think it's really smart you know this is not something you can do in a normal season is schedule up a, a team you know 
within the week that you might play them. So um, to for BYU to be ranked so low in that initial ranking, uh, and I don't know how far they moved up this week. I, I didn't get to see it yesterday. Just one spot. Just to 13. So, yeah. uh, you know, playing a game against a, a ranked team that's been playing well would be very, very smart. So uh, I, I kind of hope it gets done, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of hoops to jump through to get it there. Yeah, yeah and and it's it's uh this one of course when when the news broke just a little before we started recording got a lot of people uh really excited about it would love to see uh the you know two ranked undefeated teams it would be a, a ton of fun coastal carolina of course as one of the most unique offenses in the country BYU has been absolutely dominant all year and and uh, it would be a a very fun game. I mean, college game day is already going to be uh, there at Coastal Carolina. So this game would, would you know, get that as, as part of the atmosphere. You mentioned that this can't happen in a, a normal year. I think we've sort of learned that, uh, you know, if, if teams decided they wanted to, it, it could. And maybe, uh, you know, especially if a situation like this Uh, presents itself in the future where there are two, you know, G5 level programs or, or, you know, non-Power 5 programs uh, in BYU's case, uh, you know, have maybe, you know, keep a a late Saturday open and, and, you know, have this as a potential big time matchup. I mean, a lot of people, of course, this is a new idea, but, you know, use the the back, uh, what is it, bracket buster weekend type thing like you see in in college basketball would would love to see it and i think now that we have seen that college teams don't have to you know uh, have all these matchups lined up five six seven ten twelve years in advance you actually can schedule something during the season as sort of a worst case uh scenario but i i would be very bummed if we don't see liberty and coastal carolina i'm already disappointed of course if willis isn't able to play. Uh, Willis has been one of the best quarterbacks really in college football. It's been, been uh, a ton of fun to watch has really elevated that Liberty offense. And, and I think that, you know, Liberty uh, wouldn't be the same team without him. And, and it sounds like they've got major, major issues on the defensive side of the football as well. So it'll be really disappointing because what, could be a you know a, a great game. Apparently, this is a rivalry game. I had no idea, but apparently, Liberty <laughs> and Coastal Carolina are actual like there's a, a rivalry history uh, between the two programs. I didn't know that, um, but it, it would be a shame for Coastal Carolina to you know get this the or these for these two programs to get this sort of premier spotlight. And it ended up being a blowout because one of the teams just doesn't have uh, the depth because of something that, that, you know, they can't really, uh, you know, I mean, just something that, that is unfortunate that happens and, and makes them really shorthanded. So uh, I would, I think, you know, especially at BYU, if that really is uh, something that, that we could get, I would love it. I, I think that would be, uh, phenomenal to get two teams, you know, as close to full strength as, as we could hope for at this point in the year, undefeated, you know, ranked teams and, and uh, really, really exciting matchup for a lot of different reasons. But we're not going to talk about the, the Liberty Coastal Carolina game because of, I think, all the, the sort of uncertainty around it and because 
the Liberty quarterback situation is is such a game changer. And unfortunately, our numbers aren't uh, able to really catch up with it. it, it we had Coastal Carolina is a very slight favorite. Actually, saw some value on Liberty as when this opened as about a six point underdog. Uh, it's now eleven, or it was last time I checked. And our numbers just can't get there. Even even uh, you know taking Willis out. If we were to take out, you know, just guess and, and say it impacted the, you know, best players on the defense, we still probably couldn't get it to double digits. So all of our numbers will agree on Liberty. I have zero confidence in that whatsoever. So I just think we'll <laughs> stay away from that as a, a game that we discuss uh, in depth later on. But uh, if it if it happens, you know, hopefully it'll it'll still be an exciting game. If it can't happen, and we'll find out on Thursday, it sounds like. Hopefully BYU will be able to to swing in and, and uh, give us a game because that would that would be a ton of fun. That would be a fun one, uh, Xavier. Your thoughts on the potential of Liberty or Liberty uh, of uh, BYU playing Coastal Carolina? That'd be awesome. I mean, I think that this is the the best opportunity for both teams to show how good they really are. I mean, yes, both teams are ranked. Uh, they haven't played a lot of ranked teams this year. Uh, they played good competition, though. Let's not, let's have it right. I, I don't I don't care with the whole they've only played their conference cupcake. No, no. BYU has handled their business, and so has Coastal Carolina. Uh, but I would love to see this matchup. To Nick's point, though, before I continue, yeah, Liberty, Liberty and Coastal Carolina played every year for about 13 years while at the FCS level in the, the Big South Conference. So, yeah, that's where your rivalry comes from. They played from 2003 to 2016 uh, in the Big South. So, uh, but but that's, I guess, where the rivalry comes. So I guess that's why they want to push this game so much. But I would love getting back to BYU, to see BYU go against Coastal Carolina. Being able to watch Coastal Carolina this year, defensively, they're really good. I mean, they showed that all year. Um, the you know And to see Zach Wilson against probably the best defense he would have played all year, uh, what would be just really good, not only for himself, but just for BYU in, in itself. And this is kind of the best of uh, the two G5 schools. This would be, you know, at least, you know, you know, by ranking at least, this is, will be the best two G five schools going at it, and be the G five bowl mm. to an extent. Mm. Cincinnati, no. <laughs> ah, very true. Yeah, I, I forget about them. Too. I forget, I forget <laughs> Another them. good hire. So good that, that we forget there. Yeah, I mean, I, I forget they're a group of five team, but I mean, hey, maybe winner plays Cincinnati. But, I mean, right. it, it's twenty twenty. Let's let's get it all. Let's set the record straight. Who's the best G five team in the country? <laughs> let's just have it right. Um, and I think we could start here on Saturday if those two teams play. I, I think it, I just think it would be great for both teams. Uh, this has to be an ESPN like primetime matchup. This cannot be twelve in the twelve in the afternoon. I'm sorry, it had to be pushed back. They'd, they'd have to flex some SEC school out of there. Flex <laughs> flex Alabama LSU out of the primetime spot and put this game in there, please. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> you don't want to see Alabama beat LSU by fifty. No, no, watch a no. competitive game. Yes. Oh, okay. Uh, well, <laughs> how dare you? First of all, uh, no. There's a couple of there's a couple of teams that look like they're probably done uh, for the year. UMass, East Carolina, USF, Temple, Southern Miss, Georgia State might have a bowl game, and Texas uh, State all look like they're probably done for the year. Right, Nick. Yeah, I was uh, trying to to go through and and see again one of those things that kind of snuck up on me because it's you know we've got two more weeks kind of but some teams are finishing up UMass uh, winless zero and four I think East Carolina showed some life at the end of last year or end of this year beating SMU uh, Temple was uh, down it sounded like an average of twenty or thirty guys in every 
game they played this year. Southern Miss has had uh, four head coaches this calendar year. You know, and uh, somebody there was a there, there was a tweet I, I forgot who it was, so apologies for not citing the the right person. But on the second of December, November, October, and September, there was a different head coach at Southern Miss. The the uh, the you know uh, the original head coach coming in and two interims and then now uh, Will Hall has has been announced as uh, Jay Hobson was the original guy I couldn't think of his name but um, yeah so you know uh, Southern Miss I'm sure ready to put 2020 behind it look ahead to 2021 uh, Texas State you know ten losses but I would I would argue much, much improved uh, compared to, to 2019. So really interested to see what they look like, uh, uh, you know, in, in uh, uh, Jake Spavital's third year should be a, a really, really important year. So I am going to start digging into these teams in, in the coming weeks as I start to wrap up those depth charts and, and all of that good stuff. But, uh, you know, excited to, to dig into some of these teams that I think could have some, some potential. USF showed some life, as Xavier mentioned. Uh, against UCF last week. Good good way to end a, a year for a first-year head coach. Tough loss, no, uh, what is it, no uh, moral victories, but uh, still uh, maybe maybe provide a little bit of a spark heading into year two. So excited to, to dig into those teams a little bit more and, and others as they start to wrap up their season as well. All right, well, let's dig into week 14 here. And the game that I want to start on a preview with you guys is that uh, victorious Big 12 Iowa State team uh, hosting West Virginia. And I just saw the spread, and I was a little surprised. I know West Virginia has been playing uh, some good football, especially on the defensive side here, Nick. But uh, Iowa State, a home favorite by only 6.5 in this game, and 49.5 is the over. Obviously, probably going to be cold uh, there. Going to be a nice grinding game, but... Should Iowa State only be favored by this much? Should they be favored by more, or did the odds makers have it right here? So this is a really interesting game, and and uh, I was kind of surprised as I was going through and updating all of our numbers. Uh, you know, each year or, or each week, I do that. Basically, that that's what my Monday is. I go through and, and do all the input for our team performance rankings and, and uh, all of that, and, and then those numbers adjust our overall power rankings the most and then of course make some tweaks when we get some depth chart news and, and things like that but I was a bit surprised when I looked up and West Virginia is is in our top 25 power rankings that that was a surprise to me because uh, you know uh, Neil Brown has a good reputation as a head coach they've been playing really really good defense this year they, they actually, uh, rank at what, what is it in the uh, defensive team performance ranking? They rank seventh nationally uh, in, in our numbers. So that was a uh, you know I, I knew that they were really good. I didn't know they were quite that good. I think defensively, but uh, really other than that, they they are not really a top twenty five team according to, to what we usually see in our power rankings. Our power rankings are all numbers driven. It's, it's not opinion. It's based largely on talent. It's based on, you know, uh, how each position sort of stacks up and, and West Virginia has got some 
good players, Jared Deegee at, at quarterback, Letty Brown at, at running back. They've got actually a few uh, different wide receivers who can jump up and, and, you know, play really well, but there aren't a ton of just standout, standout players. I mean, Tony Fields, the second, the, the transfer from uh, Arizona has been a really good linebacker, came in, showed up and basically started immediately and, and has been a very, very productive player. They've got some good guys on the defensive line, but there's not, you know, there's not a lot of, uh, NFL draft buzz. There's not a ton of, I don't know. It, it's just, they were very, very sneaky as they moved up from the forties and in our preseason and early season rankings and into the top 25, which is pretty difficult to do uh, the way our numbers are, are calculated for a team that recruits at a, you know, outside the, the top 40 really uh, level. It's, it's, it's difficult for, for a team of, of this particular makeup to, to climb that high. So anyway, it was, was surprised by that. Uh, but also I, I looked and we talked about Iowa state last week. We, we talked mm-hmm. about the, the matchup ahead of Texas. And I mentioned all the big time players who have used their performance uh, throughout their career to really raise their individual player ratings. And, and that has been a big driver as to why they're able to overcome a similar recruiting profile. And, and they are actually Iowa State now uh, because they've got a 100-rated player in Brock Purdy, because Brees Hall as a sophomore running back is up to a 95. Charlie Kohler, 93 at tight end, is, is one of the top-rated uh, tight ends in the country. They're top 10 nationally in our offensive roster strength ratings. They're actually eight. They're the, according to uh, the way it's, it uh, works itself out right now, uh, and, and this is a bit of a shock because, of course, they're playing against Oklahoma and Texas, who've got some high-profile guys. Iowa State has the number one uh, roster strength in the Big 12, which is, which wow. is a bit of a surprise. So it, it's those type of guys that got they do have maybe some of the stars, uh, maybe at a little bit, you know, lower profile than they five would star players right <laughs> five what is it five star culture uh yeah. oh, but <laughs> but you know they they do have guys that probably would be more household names if they had a, a different logo on the side of their helmet but you know matt campbell to to your point earlier has built iowa state into a a real winner i mean they, they are a tough out week in and week out they haven't put up a, a you know a great final record necessarily under him, but uh, they they have always played better than their recruiting profile would suggest, and they've always played better really than than their record would suggest in, in some ways, especially in 2019. Now the the wins are, are starting to come. They're going to be in the Big 12 championship in all likelihood, and and they have risen all the way to number 11 in our power rankings, which is just shocking honestly for for uh iowa state to to get that high i mean they were in the 30s in the preseason but they've played so so good uh in recent weeks they of course had the the big upset loss early but since then they've been one of the best teams in the country they rank 15th in team performance uh they're 24th offensively 20th defensively uh, arguably the best all-around team in, in the big 12 this year you could say that oklahoma has been better in in recent weeks but if we're looking through uh the full season i mean iowa state i I think uh could certainly make an argument as the best team in in the big 12 right now so long-winded way of of saying it uh, these are teams that are better than perhaps 
the average college football fan would expect and our numbers, which are pretty hard to, you know, for teams like this to, to uh, put up these, you know, top 25 type rankings. Uh, this is a top 25 matchup and, and uh, it, it should be a very, very good one. In our three uh, projection models, we, we if it's your first time listening to us, we've got a stats-only model, we've got a talent-only model, and then we've got our official model that tries to incorporate talent stats and coaching metrics and all kinds of good stuff. That's the one we, we lean the most on. Uh, so the projected scoring margin, uh, we've got the, the stats-only model as Iowa State favored is close to eight. The talent edge model, these teams are very close as far as their uh, talent on the roster. That as Iowa State favored by only three and a half. So West Virginia would cover there. Our official projection is actually the best one for the Cyclones. They've got it almost uh, as a double-digit favorite. And this game is going to be in Ames. We only do a one-and-a-half point home field advantage adjustment right now. Uh, we, we dropped that from two-and-a-half because of the, you know, uh, fewer fans in the stands, if any, and, and all of that. So uh, in a, a normal year, that would be in the double digits. But right now we've got Iowa State expected to win this game 31-21. Uh, so that seemed, you know, based on on a lot of the uh, really high marks that West Virginia has gotten this year, especially defensively, that seems like a lot. But I, I think that I'm really coming around to Iowa State potentially being the Big 12 champion. And, and you know, this is a, a game they should win if that's the case. And to win it by double digits uh, or close to it uh, would would be right. And, and so I could certainly see that. I, I don't have a, you know, huge amount of confidence that they will cover. But I, I feel good about where we are being on the side of Iowa State and, and the six and a half. And West Virginia 0-3 on the road, Xavier. So uh, have not won a road game yet this season. They played them close. They played Texas close. Um, and I can't remember the other one that they had. I think they, they got lost to Texas Tech. 10. Uh, they lost to Texas Tech on the road, and they lost to Oklahoma State on the road. That was the other one. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, close games, but they don't seem to travel very well either. So that could definitely factor in here. Sorry, I, I got shook up a little bit for some other news, but um, yeah, like, okay. So I really enjoy West Virginia's defense. This is a team that in the past has never been really known for its defense, but this year they have performed excellently. Um, and I do think this is a perfect matchup for them against Iowa state. Now Scott's voice tells it all. Uh, th- uh, I think this is a perfect matchup for Iowa state in that this isn't going to be a shootout. I thought last week may trouble them against a Texas team that was very offensive heavy and was going to make Iowa State possibly have to play a shootout game. That's my also my worry with them if they have to play Oklahoma for the second time uh, in the Big 12 championship game. But I think this is a game that is built for Iowa State to kind of grind out and win as they typically do. Uh, my only concern in this ballgame is really the play from Brock Purdy. This is a guy who's been up and down at times this year. Uh, he's played better down the stretch and he played better on Saturday. Uh, but this is a guy who I'm, I oftentimes am waiting for him to drop the ball a little bit uh, at the quarterback position. Uh, and I'm really expecting for him to be more of in a game manager role on Saturday to protect the football, to not allow West Virginia short fields. Because if he does, West Virginia may be able to compete in this ball game. I think, once again, it's going to be a grinded out fest. I don't think West Virginia has the horses to run with Iowa State personally. But defensively, they can keep it to a low-scoring ball game. It may have a chance to win this game. Ultimately, I've got Iowa State 
by at least a touchdown. Uh, but once again, it's going to be low scoring. It might be just a, it, it might be the exact same game as Iowa State just played in 23-20, uh, 27-21, right around there. So by uh, maybe a touchdown plus just, you know, but it's going to be a grind out ball game for Iowa State. And I think this is going to be a good matchup for both teams. I think they I think they mesh well on that part. I think these are two teams that want to run the football, control the clock and play good defense. And so it's going to be a good game. It's a good test. For West Virginia, they've got one hell of a schedule in the next two games, playing Iowa State and Oklahoma to finish out their year. Uh, what a way to schedule it. But I think that they this is a good barometer for them because uh, I do think that the couple losses that they have this year have been a little unfair. I think the one at Texas Tech, I think you got beat by a team that's been sneakily decent all year, especially with scoring points and, and, and can put up points against anybody. And Oklahoma State, obviously, that they caught them early in the year with Spencer Sanders, I believe. No, no, no. That's when Spencer Spencer got hurt, and they, and they played relatively decent but just not well enough to win on that day. So I think this is a West Virginia team that is worthy of their top 25 ranking. It's going to be a good game on Saturday. Uh, it definitely is going to be a good game, one that uh, should be – I just look at this, and I just think Iowa State is so far ahead of West Virginia, but like you guys both mentioned, they're, they're not. West Virginia's no. defense is fantastic, so yeah. should be a really good one. Got to give Iowa State the edge at home. Uh, especially since West Virginia hasn't won one. So, all right, uh, Xavier, you're up. Um, you know, after, after all this trade stuff, we just uh, read <laughs> for the NBA because Xavier and I are big NBA people, and we just saw that Russell Westbrook was traded to the Wizards. But uh, what is the game that you're going to pick for this week? Uh, I, this is a game I was really excited about, obviously, until he tore his ACL last week. But I've got Indiana, Wisconsin. I think this game is, is once again, another game of two teams with similar styles who are going to try. To, it's going to be a, a, a war of will necessarily than differing styles clashing together. I think when you look at a Wisconsin team, this is a team that, once again, is going to try to control the ball. Uh, they're going to try to control the time of possession. And they're going to try to play good defense. Uh, the same thing is going to go for Indiana. This is a team that we saw put up points against an Ohio State team. Obviously, they don't have their starting quarterback in uh, Penix Jr. anymore. He's out for the season with a torn ACL. So you really think they're going to lean on the, the shoulders of Stevie Scott and on the defense that's played well up until this point. This is the same defense that was able to pick off Justin Fields three times. There's a defense that gave Sean Clifford hell for four quarters, getting to the quarterback pretty regularly. They're really good. I think Indiana is going to really show their talent defensively in this ballgame. Uh, for me, I'm a little bit more confident in Wisconsin now that Indiana is going to be missing a starting quarterback. So I think I'm going to lean towards Wisconsin for maybe an upset victory here. I don't know how much of an upset it is with their starting quarterback being out, with uh, Indiana's starting quarterback being out, excuse me. But I, I think that, that 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 is going to be too much for Indiana to overcome. This is a team that has been kind of winning by the skin of their teeth uh, against teams that are as equally talented as them all year, and that concerns me against a team in Wisconsin that I know talent-wise is probably the same exact, uh, if not better talent-wise by our metrics. Scott, uh, Nick, you can tell me if I'm wrong or right on that. Uh, but I, I genuinely think that this is a game for Wisconsin. It's Wisconsin's game to lose, and I think they get the job done on Saturday with Michael Penix being out uh, for the remainder of the season. How do you see that one playing out, Nick? That's going to be an interesting game. Yeah, it will be a very interesting game, and, and it is one that is certainly on my radar. It's another you know ranked versus ranked matchup, not only in the college football playoff rankings, but in our power rankings. And Indiana is a team that has uh, really risen, and that's uh, also impressive, similar to uh, Iowa State and, and West Virginia to a lesser extent because – our power rankings do, you know, take injuries into account. And Michael Penix Jr., uh, for the third straight year of season-ending injury, felt just awful for him. Uh, but 
Indiana did a, a you know a, a very good job of strengthening the depth of the quarterback position, uh, which which sounds strange because they had Peyton Ramsey uh, leave and, and go to Northwestern last year, and, and they've had Penix, of course, uh, injured. But Jack Tuttle is a, a really highly rated guy coming out of high school. He, he transferred into Indiana, I believe, after uh, Utah. Is, is that correct? Uh, but he, you know, is the the, the drop off in our player ratings isn't huge. I mean, Penix was probably a little underrated according to our numbers. We had him basically at an 87 overall, but Tuttle, because he comes in as a a higher rated recruit, uh, actually, you know, has a a pretty similar rating. He's he's almost an 83 overall. So we're not going to see a a big drop there. Uh, You know, Indiana was in the top 40 with, with Penix as a, a quarterback, that position, uh, according to our position and unit ratings, they were, they were in the top 40 with Penix. They're 66 now that that's not great, but they've got playmakers elsewhere. Stevie Scott is just consistent, had a great week last week after uh, really struggling against Ohio state. Uh, they've got, Watt Fillier is, is an all-Big Ten caliber guy. Ty Freifogel is probably going to be an all-Big Ten guy this year off to just a, a, a huge year. They've got some decent uh, offensive linemen. They haven't played particularly great, according to, to our numbers. Our offensive line performance rating uh, is only about a 76 grade, which, which, you know, not great, below average. But they've, they've got, uh, you know, some experience there. They've got some talent there. And defensively, this is a really, really solid unit. I mean, they they rank uh, 31st in defensive team performance, and, and I think that some of those numbers don't totally capture uh, how good they can be. And, and the loss to Ohio State, where they were really outmanned from a talent standpoint, you know, it, it is doing a lot of damage to those numbers, but they played great special teams. They rank third in our special teams team performance ranking. So Indiana, we've said time and time again, is always a tough out. And Michael Penix Jr. being injured is certainly, uh, you know, you would much rather have him than not. But they've they've worked through, you know, playing without him in each of the last three seasons. And they do have a quality capable backup in Jack Tuttle, who looked pretty good at at times uh, last week coming in after Penix was injured. As far as their actual talent, Xavier, you, you asked, uh, Indiana ranks 22nd in, in our offensive roster strength. They rank 23rd in our total overall roster strength, which is much higher than I would have expected, actually. So they, they <laughs> yeah. you know, they're similar recruiting profile to an Iowa State, to a West Virginia, top 40 in that range, but they've, they've, you know, have some guys be incredibly productive, guys like Scott, Fillier, Fry Fogel, uh, Tyan Peyton, Hendershot. Those guys have put up enough production points in our model to raise their, you know, individual player ratings really high. You know, Stevie Scott's a 97 overall, Fillier's a 92 overall, Fry Fogel's an 88 and probably should be a little bit higher. So, you know, that that's helped him close the gap there. Wisconsin you know, uh, very, again, a very, very similar recruiting profile, but a team that has a tendency to overachieve, they just don't have as much production. And so they don't, you know, they don't have as much uh, experience. They lost, of course, Jonathan Taylor and the guys that they've had 
come in haven't had enough time basically to build up uh, to, to the type of, you know, rating that he had. And, and so, you know, it looks like Jalen Berger, the true freshman might be that number one running back right now. He's just an 80, almost an 81, but he's a true freshman, highly rated coming out of high school, but just, you know, we haven't seen it quite yet. Nakia Watson, somewhat similar, a sophomore could be in the mix. there. certainly going to get a lot of carries. 79 and a half is, is his rating. So, uh, you know, just not, can't really stack up quite with Stevie Scott, who's been a starter for three years and, and done a lot of great things. Graham Mertz looked phenomenal in his first start this year, but, you know, hasn't played a ton uh, since. They, they missed two games, and he's, he really hasn't looked as good, uh, not nearly as good in, in the last couple of games, but he's, he's kind of taken a little bit of a step back in, in each, I think, and, and he's only an 86 overall player as a redshirt freshman. The wide receiver position, they don't have those guys. I mean, they lost Quentin Cephas, right? So, uh, you know, they, they do have Jake Ferguson, a quality tight end as an 87 player, but there's two starting wide receivers, Kendrick Fryer and Danny Davis, missed the last game, and we're not sure if, if they're going to be able to uh, make it back this week. We think so because they, you know, had last week – off and and if it's what we think it might have been usually two weeks is is the about a time to get back so we'll see but uh you know it, it, they just don't have at least as far as our numbers go the the type of players who have the experience and production that match up to indiana so they are actually a lower rated team in our roster strength rates hmm. 41st overall they're 50th on offense they're 36th on defense and they've played really phenomenal defense. They rank number two in defensive team performance. So this is an elite unit. It certainly has the ability to be one, even if they don't you know, rank uh, among the nation's best as far as pure talent. They are looking like a top five team, one of the best in the Big Ten, if not the best in the Big Ten uh, on the field. So it's a, it's a very interesting matchup, and it's certainly not you know, what you would want if you're playing a first-time starter right. uh, like Jack Tuttle. So it's an interesting matchup. Our numbers just, you know, can't really catch up with uh, Penix being out and can't really close the gap because our numbers right now, as good as Wisconsin's look defensively, they don't respect them quite as much as they respect the work that Indiana has done or, or they respect what, you know, West Virginia or Iowa State has done. So uh, we've got Wisconsin favored in, in all three of our metrics, but we have Indiana covering and, and by a pretty big uh, gap, uh, somewhat surprisingly. Our stats-only model has Wisconsin favored by almost 12. The talent edge is almost dead even. We've got Wisconsin by less than a quarter of a point. And then our projected final score is 28-21. We've got a Wisconsin favored uh, just by a touchdown. So all three of our numbers agree. I don't have a, a ton of confidence in that one either. And that's going to be a theme probably for everything I say this week uh, because, you know, Penix was was really a, a quality, quality quarterback. And mm-hmm. even though Tuttle looks great on paper and did, you know, look pretty good uh, in, you know, live action last week, sort of a different thing going up against a, a Wisconsin defense and, and in your first start uh, in your career. So not a ton of confidence, but this is one that, you know, uh, our, our numbers have been quite good when they all – line up. I mean, we, we had a, a really solid week last week, seven and five, we're 86 
68 and one this year. That's almost 56%. Feel pretty proud of that. So uh, it's a situation that our numbers like. I don't have a ton of confidence in it, but I guess it, it, you know, gives me some heart to think that we've tried basically to do whatever we can uh, to adjust for the injury for, for Penix and, and things like that. And we still can't get Indiana really close to, uh, you know, being a, a double digit favorite. So uh, I, I guess I feel like we're on the right side, uh, but uh, you know, I, it, it's certainly not a, uh, you know, lock of the week bet the mortgage type situation, but uh, Indiana plus 14, we see some value at least right now. Yeah, I'm surprised the the spread's that big, uh, you know. But uh, because Wisconsin hasn't been great, and Indiana has, but losing a guy like Penix is enormous. Yeah. So uh, we'll see how it pans out. But Nick, you're up. What game are you picking? So yeah. that that was going to be mine. That was going to be that was going to be my first pick uh, because it's just is an interesting matchup to me. But but another one that. Uh, is a big game for a lot of reasons, is Texas A&M at all. I knew it. Yeah. Texas A&M being ranked number five in the most recent playoff rankings. I don't think we need to spend a lot of time arguing about, you know, should they be uh, top five? Should they, if they went out, get, you know, surpass Clemson maybe or Ohio State because they're not playing enough games. I'm not really interested in that conversation right now. I think those things, for the most part, will will work themselves out. However, it's, you know, being that fifth-ranked team, it's, it's we you know, impossible to ignore that this has national championship or playoff at least implications. And Texas A&M has, has been good. I mean, they've, they've been a top-10 team or thereabouts for us all year. I think they were 12th in our preseason rankings. They are 10th uh, in our power rankings right now. They're still the fourth best team in the SEC, according to our numbers, but they are, uh, you know, ranked higher than Auburn. Auburn is 21st in our numbers, the fifth best team in the SEC, but that's a pretty big gap. Uh, you know, it's kind of a, a separation of tiers. Texas A&M, I, I would say, is in tier one or tier 1A. Maybe you want to put Alabama on its own, uh, you know, pedestal there. But uh, Texas A&M is right there with, you know, the uh, Georgias and, and Floridas, in, in my opinion. And, and uh, you know, Auburn being a, a 20th thereabouts team is, is uh, about in the, in the right uh, mix. But – Auburn has not looked very good recently. Bo Nix has taken a, a little bit of a step back. It looks like maybe the Chad Morris hired offensive coordinator hasn't really uh, provided the spark maybe we were hoping for. Gus Malzahn might have to take the keys back to the offense again. And in, in my uh, speculation, they just seem to be better when he was the one calling the plays. And, and they do have playmakers. Seth Williams is, is really, really solid. Uh, as a wide receiver, I think he has a really bright future. Anthony Schwartz has taken a big step forward this year, but the offensive line hasn't been great, and uh, they do have some injury issues. They've got their starting left tackle is going to be out this game. They're already a pretty uh, inexperienced unit overall. Tank Bigsby's got a hip issue that he's working through, the best running back in the mix there, in my opinion, and it uh, sounds like DJ Williams is a little bit banged up as well. So Auburn's just not really built right now to – to look like a team that's going to actually be able to, to pull off this upset. And especially after last week, I mean, they, they looked for the most part, like uh, they, they 
you know, we're out of it from the opening kick against Alabama. Alabama was just clearly, clearly the better team basically across the board. Auburn has traditionally, of course, played very, very good defense. Kevin Steele ranks still among the highest uh, rated in our, our defensive coordinator rankings. But, you know, the, the defense is also uh, a bit banged up. K.J. Britt, really the best player uh, on the defense, especially, you know, at, at linebacker, the kind of the, the uh, go-to guy there in the middle for them has been out for several, several weeks. They've missed him. They haven't really gotten uh, the the type of defensive line play that we're used to seeing, uh, especially losing all that talent to the NFL. It does really seem to have uh, made an impact, and, and we're not seeing, uh, you know, the, the big-time pass rusher, the big-time run stuffer, uh, numbers from Auburn this year, and, and especially last week, looked looked pretty bad. Texas A&M, though, you know, they put up a pretty poor offensive performance against LSU, who we mentioned earlier had been uh, really uh, one of the worst defenses in the SEC and, and you know, early in the season, one of the worst defenses in the country. But uh, Texas A&M didn't even get, you know, 300 yards. Kellen Mond couldn't really get going. Uh, Isaiah Spiller had, you know, had a good game. Aeneas Smith mm-hmm. is one of my favorite players and, uh, you know, certainly does flashes. But they need somebody to step up at wide receiver. That's been an issue for them all year. They've been banged up. Chase Lane is questionable to play here. DeMond DeMoss has been out, it sounds like, with, uh, you know, COVID or contact tracing. And, and hopefully he'll be able to come back. But other than Jalen Weidemeyer, they, you know, and, and he's a, a tight end. They, they haven't really had a big time playmaker for Kellen Mond this year. And, and I think that's really hurt. Uh, so, you know, we'll, we'll see. I mean, it, it's a, it's a good matchup and it's of course very important on paper, Texas A&M, I think should be, you know, should be favored. And, and our, our, uh, Talent model has Texas A&M favored by about four. Uh, Auburn, of course, is you know has a strong roster, uh, similarly talented. Our stats-only model, I was a bit surprised. Auburn is actually favored by almost half a point. If we're just looking at historically how the coaches have fared, how the teams have fared uh, under those play callers and, and head coaches, Auburn is actually you know right there with Texas A&M. But our overall official projection. Uh, Texas A&M actually just was able to do just enough to, you know, pull ahead and, and for actually our numbers to call for them to, to cover. The official line uh, that we released this afternoon to our patrons uh, that, that goes down basically in, in stone for us is Texas A&M minus seven. And we've got our official projection, Texas A&M minus 7.23. So our final score prediction is, is uh, the Aggies 32 and Auburn 24. That would be higher scoring than the projected total is, is uh, 48 and a half. But uh, you know, Auburn's not quite the same defense as, as they were. And so that's not out of the realm of possibility, but again, not that I have a ton of confidence in this, this, this does look like, you know, if you're going to look through the list of top five, top ten uh, college football playoff ranking, you know, teams who could possibly be upset, this kind of looks like it. Kind of feels like okay, Auburn, you know, hasn't really gotten someone yet this year. Who, you know, maybe they'll get Texas A&M. They always seem to to pick off somebody. Uh, but our numbers don't don't really see it. They they almost line up to all three agree that Auburn should be able to cover. 
but only one actually thinks that that Auburn's got a good shot to to actually pull off the upset. So I think I might lean toward, you know, a, a little bit closer. Maybe this game decided by about a field goal, but think that Texas A&M probably should uh, be able to go in and, and come out with a victory and keep hope alive for uh, maybe a, a potential you know playoff push in the final weeks. I mean, the Aggies cannot lose this game. They have a shot to make the playoff here. I, I don't know that they'll get it, but they do. They, they're ranked fifth. They're on the outside looking in barely. They're knocking on the doors, Javier. So mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. Aggies can't lose this game. But if they play like they did against LSU, Auburn is not going to afford them nearly as many favors as LSU did. So they, they can lose this game, but you would think that uh, they're coming to play. They know they're right on the cusp of something big here. Uh, and, and I just, I can't imagine them losing this game, but, uh, the, you know, the, the spread is, what do you say the spread is Nick? Is it seven? It was seven this afternoon. I can get us, uh, yeah, yeah. Seven, 48 and a half. Yeah. Seven across the board. Uh, and 48 and a half is, is the over on that game. So Xavier, how do you see this one playing out? You know, honestly, before before Nick went ahead and, and spoke, I really thought that Texas A&M would win this game pretty handedly. Uh, but looking at Texas A&M and the way that they performed this year, this is a Texas A&M team that doesn't have a convincing win on their schedule outside of the South Carolina win. Uh, two week, three three weeks ago, 11, uh, November seventh, when they beat South Carolina forty eight to three. Other than that, they've won ugly pretty much all year. Uh, they gave up 31 points to Arkansas. They only beat a Mississippi State team by two touchdowns. Obviously, they looked very sluggish last week against LSU. And obviously, they beat Vandy by five points. This is a, a Texas A&M team that's going to win this game ugly. I absolutely agree with Nick. This game will probably come down to the fourth quarter where we see Texas A&M possibly pull away. Uh, and by pull away, I mean six to ten points max. Um, you know, I, I'm thinking a 30-20 type game uh, where, the, you know, Bo Nick struggles to, to make anything happen in, in the passing game, but Texas A&M gives away a couple of big plays. Uh, but other than that, Bo Nix will struggle. I think Kellen Mond, Nick hit it right on the head. He has really no pieces that have stood out on the outside to alleviate any pressure from that running game. And although Auburn hasn't looked good up front stopping the run this year, you can imagine that they're going to put seven in the box and force Kellen Mond to beat them with his arm. And I really don't know if Kellen Mond can do that consistently for you in this game. Their saving grace is that Auburn's offense has looked just as pedestrian all season. And I don't think that that's going to change on Saturday. I've got Texas A&M winning this game, but don't be surprised if you get the upset alert, you know, notification from ESPN midway through the third quarter and Auburn's up by a score, whether that be a field goal or a touchdown. I think it's going to be an ugly victory for Texas A&M. And I think the next two games for them, playing Auburn and Texas a- uh, and uh, Tennessee, are both going to be ugly wins for them. Uh, this is a team that's not going to be that, – that needs to win with style points. They don't have the talent to win with style points. And I, I think you'll see that on Saturday. Um I think Texas A&M wins, wins ugly 27-23, 30 to 20 is right around my final score. That That's is- a really interesting observation. I that they just don't have it to win with style points. That I like that. That that sounds right to mm-hmm. me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, on offense they they definitely can't win with style. They no. you know, Kellen Mond has Kellen Mond's had some big games, but he's also had some games where you're going, god, what, are you what doing? is happening right now, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, so he has been uh, fairly inconsistent. So if he plays a good game, I mean Texas A&M should walk out of this pretty easy. But if yeah. he if he's uh, if he's not at a hundred percent, Auburn definitely has a chance. And like you said, Nick, they love to pick someone off 
at the end of the season every single year. Mm-hmm. Uh, for my second game, I'm going to go to a G5 Friday matchup. Ooh, I love this game. It is Louisiana at yes. App State. Uh, App State sitting at 7-2. and two. Uh, Louisiana's only loss so far was by three points to the cool. aforementioned uh, Chanticleers of uh you know uh, of coastal carolina so this one is going to be a very very uh fun game to watch on a friday night nick and how do we see this one playing out yeah this is a, a premier g5 matchup i mean this this is uh not too far off of the coastal carolina byu game if if it happened i mean those Two are, are you know ranked in the top twenty of the playoff rankings, but uh, BYU is a top ten team according to our numbers. But Coastal Carolina is still on the outside of the top thirty, uh, looking in. Believe it or not, they just you know we we've been very impressed with them. They started in the hundreds, so it's it's a pretty incredible rise uh, based on how well they've played on the field. But we still think that Louisiana is the the highest rated team in. The Sun Belt, and we actually have Appalachian State number two. Uh, UL Lafayette, who is what they are in our our uh, official uh, documents uh, for for uh, back end purposes. Uh, apologies to any uh, Rachel Cajun fans out there who uh, want us to call them Louisiana. I'll, I'll try to do it, but uh, Louisiana is is uh, ranked thirtieth, and App State is thirty first in in our numbers, and uh, they've got playmakers they've got big time guys that have put up a a lot of production over the past few years that have helped them you know really raise to that uh rise to that level levi lewis at at quarterback you know the stats haven't always been there but in in certain times this year I've, i've really been impressed with him and he's been the quarterback there seems like forever uh they've got running backs They've got a, a, another three-headed monster. Uh, Elijah Mitchell, Trey Regis are, are arguably the best duo, you know, maybe in, in the group of five, maybe one of the best duos in all of college football, the running back position. Then Chris Smith, who's uh, get a little bit more, you know, uh, time as a, a kick returner, has, has had uh, a couple of touchdowns in his career already, is, is, uh, has emerged as that third guy and somebody that's that's able to do some really good things as well. So they can run the football and, and Levi Lewis, uh, you know, has, has done some good things through the air as well. Uh, they are missing, in my opinion, uh, some playmakers at, at receiver or somebody that, you know, can really help him uh, make more plays with his arm. But uh, they've got a solid offensive line, the best in the Sun Belt, according to our numbers, a top 25 unit in the country. And, you know, they, they have a, a decent defense. And, and the defense, uh, some of the higher-rated guys, according to our numbers, uh, have been in and out of, of the lineup. I think, you know, Louisiana's had some COVID issues early in the year. They've had some injury issues, you know, uh, Chauncey Mack and, and uh, Farad Gardner, Andre Jones, Zion Hill have, have all had good games here and there. Lorenzo McCaskill, I think, won a, a National Player of the Week award. Uh, Eric Garai, I mean, they, they've got – you know, somebody has stepped up each and every week, it seems, to make a big play in a big spot. Uh, but, you know, uh, overall, uh, you know, they are 100th in our uh, defensive roster strength numbers. So the, the, you know, the talent doesn't necessarily pop off the screen or off the page, but they're solid. They, they play well enough. And uh, they're somebody that, you know, App State is – 
also very good. Also has a lot of veteran guys who've made plays on offense. But, you know, I think that Louisiana is going to be able to compete. They're going to be able to do some things defensively to slow down a guy like Zach Thomas, who's been a little bit banged up this year, uh, who maybe hasn't quite taken a, 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 you know, a big next step that we were thinking he could as a, as a junior last year, as a senior this year. But, you know, the guy has started over 30 games in his career. He's got some playmakers at receiver, Thomas Hennigan, Malik Williams, one of the best offensive lines in, in, uh, the G5, of, of course. I mean, three all Sunbelt type players, four returning starters this year who, you know, ton of experience there. They've got one of the best secondaries, it, it, certainly in the Sunbelt, if, if not all of uh, G5. Sean Jolly is a legitimate All-American candidate. And they've got some talent elsewhere. You know, Demetrius Taylor's had a, a really, really uh, decorated career at defensive end there. So App State is, again, I mean, they're they're still the, the reigning Sunbelt champion multiple years. They've beaten Louisiana each of the last several years. This has a, a big time feel to it, even though, uh, you know, Appalachian State is out of the running here. They can send Louisiana into, uh, you know, can, can, can really, you know, send them limping into the Sunbelt Championship against Coastal Carolina next week. So it's a big game, and, and you know that they, uh, want that little bit of bragging rights. Our numbers see very, very little difference between uh, these two teams. App State is favored. Last, or, you know, we, we we released all weeknight games uh, on Tuesday, so our number officially was App State minus two and a half. Uh, I'll have to check and see if that's moved anything uh, since. It looks like yeah, two and a half, and the uh, the total is is forty two. Our number, our numbers see it very, very close to that. We do have App State favored, uh, but only by a little more than a point. We actually think that Louisiana has the talent edge here. This is one of about a dozen games this week where we think that the more talented team is actually an underdog. Uh, those numbers have been pretty good for us in, in the past as well, so that's something to take note of. But our stats-only model has Appalachia State covering this, has them favored by almost four. So not a big edge one way or the other. We see it as a really, really tight game. We do have the Mountaineers winning. Uh, the home field advantage probably you know a good thing to have here, and uh, we think that they can get a little bit higher scoring than, than what uh, the market, the odds makers think, but we've got App State winning 30-29. to 29. And the spread here, uh, as you mentioned, is uh, about two and a half in favor of the home team App State, and the the over under is around uh, fifty two to fifty, uh, you know, fifty one and a half to fifty two and a half. It's kind of all over the place here. But Xavier, how do you see this uh, Friday night uh, big time G five showdown going? Oh, this is massive, uh, and, and this is senior night for Zach Thomas. This is it for him. You know, this is his last big game. At App State, you know, his last, you know, and probably what was the biggest game this season for him, he didn't play well. Through three interceptions against Coastal Carolina, those ended up becoming the difference in that ball game. You can imagine that this game, he really wants to leave, you know, the university on a high note. Unfortunately for him, he's playing a UL Lafayette, excuse me, Louisiana team that's coming in very. Am high. I the only one that's gotten it right so far? Good yeah. luck. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, they're playing a Louisiana team that's coming in very, very hot right now. This is a team that scored 70 points two weeks ago against uh, Louisiana Monroe, you know, put up a 38 spot on South Alabama the week before that. 
this is a team that's coming in with a lot of confidence, especially offensively. You know, you hit it right on the head. Although Levi Lewis doesn't have the playmakers on the outside, they're running – core and, and, and that, you know, tandem in the backfield with Trey Regis and Elijah Mitchell is maybe some of the best, if not one of the best in G5 period. Uh, you know, you look at, you know, the way that they're going to really try to keep the ball out of Zach Thomas's hands. They're going to run the football. They're going to try to control time of possession. And again, then they're going to let the defense do the talking for them. Uh, when you come to Zach Thomas, he hasn't played well in the big games this year. You know, he, he played, he didn't play well against Marshall when, they, you know, their two losses are against Marshall and Coastal Carolina. In both games, he he underperformed for what we would expect from Zach Thomas uh, in his time at App State. And I know he wants to go out with a big game, but I'm not so sure he will against this Louisiana defense. Uh, I got Louisiana winning this ball game uh, and, and going into uh, the Sunbelt uh, Championship with some confidence and some swagger about themselves as they really want to make up for that three-point loss that they had earlier in the year to Coastal Carolina. Uh, so I don't see this being a great senior night for Zach Thomas. Uh, but if he can play like the Zach Thomas of old before this season, I wouldn't be surprised if the Adapt State was away, able to walk away with a, an upset victory. But it's really going to be on his shoulders as it has been all year. Going to be a fun one, that's for sure. So, uh, Xavier, you're up for game number two. What do you got? And I can't believe when we were talking about all the coaches in the country possibly leaving, I forgot about this guy's name. And, I, I, and I'm upset with myself because of it. But we've got to talk about what might be Jeremy Pruitt's last possible games at Tennessee here as it, it really not and this isn't just like out of nowhere I Twitter Instagram he lost uh this, their second highest recruit decommitted this past week uh from Tennessee to outweigh his options he said that Tennessee was still his favorite but it doesn't look like he's you know too gung-ho about going to the volunteers as of right now a lot of people in Tennessee's camp think that he, he might be on his way out of there uh, they really don't like what's going on at the quarterback situation and, and his unwillingness to change from Garantano all year up until pretty much the season was over. So, I mean, he's he's on a on a warm seat at the moment. And it's not going to help that he's about to get blown out by 40 by Florida on the weekend. So, well, so, so the we spread's only 17 and a half, though. You don't see it playing that close? What? <laughs> 17 and a half. That's the spread. Uh, 17, uh, 17 and a half in Florida's uh -huh. favor. And 62 and a half is the over. So I'm, I'm betting on Florida to go way over the 17 and a half. This is going to be an ugly ball game. Florida's going to put out, going to run the horses on them because it's a rivalry game at the end of the day. Florida and Tennessee don't like each other. This is, this is you know, it, it was a, a great rivalry in the early 2000s with Philip Bomer there. Obviously, it's tailed off now that Tennessee isn't as good as they used to be. However, in the 90s, it was one of the best in college football. Exactly. And, and you know, there's nothing Florida would love. <laughs> we do. Yep. <laughs> I'm sorry, I wasn't born yet, guys. <laughs> Remember Peyton Manning in college? Xavier yeah, doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> I was born. Wait, Manning was drafted in '98. I was born enough to maybe see something. That, right. Uh, yeah, uh -huh. yeah. Yeah. Uh, right next to your speaking right. spell and light bright. <laughs> right. Tell tell us how Florida is going to win by Florida. Oh yeah, Florida is going to stomp. They would give Florida fans no more pleasure than to have Jeremy Poole fired because of how bad they beat them on Saturday. And I think that that might possibly happen uh, you know you're looking at a Florida team that might be offensively the second hottest team in football right now offensively might be right behind Alabama this is a team that continues to put up 40 plus points a week although last week they only put up 34 this is a team that continues to just put up ridiculous numbers and, and uh I was about to say Felipe Franks goodness uh Kyle Trask is not slowing down anytime soon he's definitely not gonna slow down for these guys and so I think uh, this is tennis this is uh Jeremy Poole's swan song 
you know, go out with a bang, possibly try to upset a Florida team that you haven't been able to beat there in your entire tenure there. Uh, and, and, you know, hey, Florida continues to put the style points. I think if they do stomp Tennessee into the ground, they might jump Texas A&M, who we just talked about, will probably win ugly against Auburn. I think Florida knows that it has to get style points now to possibly make it into the college football playoff. Obviously, with the biggest game of the year coming in, the SEC championship game, they still have to win with style up to that point. I think you see Florida romper room Tennessee this week, and it will be happiness but sadness all at the same time for me. It'll be a little bittersweet to watch Florida's offense be so good, but it'll be happy for me to watch Tennessee's defense be so bad. How do you see this one going? Do you, is this a 40-point game, Nick? <laughs> uh, we've got one of these teams winning or one of these teams scoring 40 points, but uh, <laughs> winning by 40, you know, I mean, it, I, I certainly could see a scenario where it happens. Uh, Florida has been really, really good. I mean, Kyle Trask absolutely has proven me wrong. I wasn't a, a huge fan. I was very skeptical of, of Kyle Trask coming into this season, but he's deserved you know, the, the Heisman buzz that he's gotten and, and uh, you know, certainly among uh, the favorites now and, and, and deservedly so. He's got some of the best weapons to work with in college football. Kyle Pitts is really one of my favorite players in all of college football and Kadarius Tony is right there with him. I mean, those two guys as a one-two punch as far as weapons. I mean, we were talking about, you know, teams that need weapons like Texas A&M, like, you know, Louisiana on the outside. And, and well, Florida, Florida's got them. And, uh, you know, we we weren't necessarily sure if, if they were going to be able to do this sort of thing based on the number of receivers they lost to the NFL last year. But Trask and, and those guys have been uh, really, really fun to watch. And, and when they're all healthy, Pitts, it was great to see him back in healthy last week, had another huge, huge game. Uh, and, and, you know, Tony has been fun all year. He, he's somebody that spent a lot of time sidelined in his career uh, because of injury, it's great to see him uh, be able to put together a, a full season, and both of those guys uh, will be able to, to watch on Sundays next year, I'm sure. So, you know, Florida, there's every reason to believe that they should be heavy, heavy favorites in this game. The defense is even, you know, really coming around. They were uh, really poor uh, early in the year, but the numbers are, are really starting to round into form for, you know, a team that uh, is an SEC title contender. And it's, it's certainly not out of the realm of possibility that they could upset Alabama, I think. So uh, this is a game they should win. They should win it handily based on our overall projection. Our, our you know, our other two models see it a good bit closer. I mean, talent-wise, one thing that uh, Butch Jones left Jeremy Pruitt was was a relatively talented roster at least as far as recruiting metrics go and then Pruitt and you know some ways has even out recruited uh, Butch Jones I, I am certainly not the only person to say this but I've been really very disappointed in, in Jeremy Pruitt I, I was I was high on him thought that uh, he would be able to turn Tennessee really into an elite defense. Uh, they've been okay at times, uh, you know, defensively. Henry Toto looks like an All-American a lot of the time. Uh, but really, you know, uh, the, the team as a, as a whole just really hasn't been able to, to get going. And, and Xavier, you mentioned the quarterback position, which, of course, is always at the top of the, the conversation. Jarek Garantano has been there forever and, and seemingly, you know, his job's in jeopardy every week. But, you know, it sounds like this week the, the 
hotshot true freshman Harrison Bailey is going to get mm-hmm. a good bit of playing time. It sounds like they've also had some COVID issues hit the quarterback room. So we don't know if Garantano has, has been impacted necessarily, but uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what, what happens and, and what this uh, offense, you know, will look like. And, and if maybe they decide to go young, will you get, uh, a spark and, and sometimes, you know, going in that direction, showing a little bit of promise of, Hey, we, we, you know, we've got the quarterback. He's, he's going to be here. Look at what he did against Florida. If, if Bailey comes in and, and, you know, has a, has a really exciting game and maybe becomes the starter, then Pruitt might be able to say like, Hey, all right, you know, it's all coming together. We're building into 2021 and be able to carry it through. But you know, I agree. His seat has gotten warmer and warmer, and there seems to be a lot of buzz that, you know, this could be if, if things go poorly here at the end of the year, or if he gets really, really blown out by Florida, this could be the end of it. And, and so uh, he's got to get it figured out really, really quick. I I like Eric Gray a lot, but he just hasn't been able to, to you know, do it all at the running back position. Their offensive line is one of the highest rated from a talent standpoint in the country. You know, they're the second best unit in college football behind Alabama, according to our talent numbers, but they're playing basically average. I mean, their uh, O-line performance rating is an 80.25 and and 85 uh, is basically the, the national average. So, you know, not, not going to cut it. And so it's, it's been very disappointing. I thought we would see a lot more growth under Jeremy Pruitt by this point and really had some, some high hopes for them this year. So very disappointed that they've fallen out. They were, you know, we talked about all the teams who started the year in the forties and moved up into the top 25. Tennessee was a top 25 team in our power rankings in the preseason. And they're, you know, barely holding on in the top 60. They're 57th right now. And, you know, some of that is uh, quarterback play. Some of that is is just overall the team performance ratings just aren't aren't quite there. But, yeah, I, I you know, <laughs> I, I am disappointed in Pruitt and, and uh, thought they'd be a lot farther along uh, by now. So if it, if it goes poorly against Florida and our numbers, our, our official projection is actually, you know, Florida 40 and uh, Tennessee 17, so covering covering by a, a good bit there. Uh, if they get a similar, you know, uh, final score this week against Florida and, and against Texas A&M, then absolutely he, he could be uh, on his way out. Man, nah, that that's uh, – you can't see it for Harbaugh, but you see it for Pruitt. Okay, I, I see. I see how it is. They have to win a game this October. A little bit. The, 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 uh, oh God. <laughs> <laughs> Xavier all over me on that one. Man, I, wanted to, I know you hate Tennessee. We all we all get it. You know, uh it, I want them to keep Pruitt. The longer they keep Pruitt, the more they'll have this amazing recruiting class and it won't translate to anything. Nah. I don't need them to get a good coach in. I'm know? I'm with Nick though. I, I really thought Pruitt was gonna turn them around. And it hasn't happened. You're right. So uh and, and uh people at Tennessee we know are impatient. So all I'm saying is this Greg Schiano went to Rutgers. Rutgers looks a lot better than Tennessee does this year. 
That's all I'm saying. You guys did one great Shiano at uh, Tennessee. Are you telling me, uh, Nick, if you could run the numbers on Tennessee versus Rutgers and tell me Tennessee <laughs> is going to win by 30, I would be very surprised. So. Uh, Tennessee wouldn't win by 30, but Tennessee is 57th. Their team strength rating is 80.8. Uh, Rutgers has looked better. And we've mentioned before. They talked, have looked I, better. I think they've looked Go a lot on. better. I think they're very fun uh, and, and are going to be – better but they're still the lowest rated team in the big 10 according to our numbers they're 90th overall they're 77 uh so that would that means that tennessee would be favored by more than a touchdown that's it that's it for for all the tennessee fans who were crying and riding on rocks how bad they didn't want graciano and they're only favored by what 10 points come on I, uh, I I would love this is why we need the NCAA football game back right here. And so uh, Xavier and I can play this one out. So uh, to, to, to really get it done or at least simulate it or something. But uh, uh, but 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 yeah, I, I I get it. Tennessee has been disappointing. They just haven't really changed much since Pruitt came in. And that's really what you're looking for. Michigan did initially take that bump up mm-hmm. and uh, but they just they haven't got over that. Ohio State hump. So anyway, I don't need to keep harping on Harbaugh. Uh, Nick, you're up for the last game of the week. Which one are you picking? I was I was going a lot of different directions and and maybe you know thinking a little outside the box for some of these. I, I kind of want to talk about Colorado. Colorado's favored to go undefeated in our numbers this year because that USC game is no longer on the schedule. They're favored against Arizona. <laughs> They're favored in their now. That would be wild. <laughs> I mean, Colorado. Going undefeated in Carl Durrell's first year, who got brand new head coach in the so, but but we yeah yeah I mean but we can't talk about Colorado and Arizona. I was I was thinking okay Washington (laughs) Washington is in the top fifteen in our power rankings. They're in the in the uh, you know twenty second now in the college football playoff rankings. They're looking like one of the best defenses in college football. Another first year head coach there in uh, in Jimmy Lake, but you know I, I think that part of the reason is. It's a big game. Part of the reason is it, it kind of uh, right now my mind's a little bit on who's going to get fired. And, and uh, Clemson at Virginia Tech Ooh. is a game that could have, you know, job security implications. And, and Clemson, of course, is still Clemson. Yes, they lost to Notre Dame. Notre Dame, on the one hand, is very good. On the other hand, of course, Trevor Lawrence wasn't there. They they didn't necessarily miss him. DJ Uyunglele, sorry, Uyunglele <laughs> uh, played really really well for the most part in, in that game. But uh, you know, Clemson's had some injury issues on the defensive line, getting a little bit healthier there. They've had some injury issues at linebacker, getting a little healthier there. Last week, they looked like you know they wanted to make a statement against Pitt at least early on. It got you know a little. Uh, a little, little closer there in the in the you know second and third quarter before they finally really put him away. But what was it, twenty eight to nothing uh, yeah. at, 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 in the first quarter? I mean, that's just demoralizing when you look up oh, uh, on the sideline. Thirty one to nothing, right? Thirty one to nothing in the first quarter. I mean, to to look up at the scoreboard if you're on the sideline, if you're pit and, and already down thirty one, you've still got three quarters to go. I mean, that's that's just a, a, a gut punch, and and so. You know, Clemson is is a, a premier team still, even with the one loss. You know, they're second in our power rankings, and and they're very close to Alabama. So it's not uh, not like it's a, it's a runaway there either. So I fully expect them to 
come in and, and uh, they're rightly heavily favored more than three touchdowns over Virginia Tech. It was 22 officially this afternoon, last time I looked. And, uh, you know, that, that seems about right. I mean, we've got Clemson favored actually by 24 officially. The, the other two numbers, which do, uh, you might have noticed, uh, favor underdogs uh, a bit more. Our, our official number, our official projection does a better job when there's a big favorite of, uh, you know, giving teams a chance to cover spreads like that. The other two don't as much. I've got to do some tweaking uh, with both of those. But talent edge, still Clemson's a double-digit favorite if talent was the only thing we were looking at, which is a pretty big pretty big spread in, in our talent edge numbers for a conference game. I mean, there's not huge, huge uh, differences in, in uh, especially a team like Virginia Tech, which we thought was going to be a contender in the ACC this year, at least I did. Uh, our stats only model, it, it's bigger. It's 18.8. And then, you know, that wouldn't still wouldn't be covering for Clemson, but that's pretty huge uh, as far as our stats only model goes for a game like this, where Virginia Tech's, you know, despite a losing record, 32nd in our power rankings. Virginia Tech has been a little bit better than. Uh, maybe their their record would indicate, but they've also had some really ugly losses. I mean, they lost to Wake Forest, which at the time was just a, a bit of a shock. I mean, Wake Forest has been better than I expected this year, but that that loss came absolutely out of nowhere. They lost to Liberty, which of course has been very good, uh, but uh, still an embarrassing loss to lose to you know an independent uh, a team that's only been in FBS a couple of years. Uh, to lose to them on your home field is is tough. They lost by one point to Miami, but gave away a double digit uh, lead in the fourth quarter, and then they got blown out by Pitt. And you know that North Carolina game it, it ended up being by eleven, uh, but their first loss of the year uh, was was that final score looked a little bit better than it, it really was. So the 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 big loss was the forty seven fourteen to Pitt last week. Uh, the same pit team that was down 31 to nothing against Clemson uh, last week's it was Virginia Tech's last game. So, you know, it's it's a uh, it's a game where if it really gets out of hand, if, if Clemson wins this game, 55 to seven, which is not out of the realm of possibility. Uh, Justin Fuente is is you know things are moving in the wrong direction there. He started out really strongly at, at Virginia Tech. We came over from Memphis, revitalized that program, built Memphis into the, the team it is now. I mean, they were one of the worst programs in college football. He turned them into one of the best G5 programs in college football and, and really carried some momentum into his time there at Virginia Tech. But the last few years, they've been very disappointing. There have been transfer after transfer after transfer. Uh, and it's just kind of, you know, it, it just doesn't feel right. He flirted a little bit with Baylor last offseason. You know, has been in the mix for some other jobs, it sounds like. So maybe Virginia Tech is not his dream job, is his final destination. So if if he's starting to get on, you know, posting a, a, a losing record, which if they lose to Clemson, which we expect they will, it will cement uh, a non-winning record for Virginia Tech with the, of course, rivalry game of against Virginia. If you lose that back-to-back years, that's a guaranteed losing record. You know, it's possible that, that Justin Puente could end up getting fired at, at Virginia Tech, and especially if it's a, a really, really ugly final uh, with Clemson. And, and because Clemson is back to full strength or, or 
you know, relatively close to it. And I think even more important than Trevor Lawrence is that they're getting healthier on defense. James Glasky, the linebacker, is back. Uh, Tyler Davis, the, uh, uh, you know, talented interior defensive lineman, is back. So, you know, things are moving in the right direction there. Uh, and, you know, they've had uh, – uh, uh, Frank Ladson, it sounds like, is back. He's been out. Or, or in God, one of the two. I get those two confused. In God or Ladson, both have been injured. One of them is going to be coming back this week. So getting a little healthier there as well. But, uh, it, you know, I, I already sort of gave our projection. I mean, it's 41-17, not expected to be a close game by any stretch. It's – you know, if it gets even worse than that, I think Fuente is, is in trouble. But on the other hand, if somehow he's able to uh, pull off a huge, huge upset, Clemson might be out of the ACC title race, right? If, if yeah. they lose this game and mm-hmm. Miami wins out, Miami goes and plays Notre Dame. So yeah. uh, it, it's not quite on the same level as the Texas A&M game, not uh, you know, <laughs> near the, the uh, uh, you know, probable uh, likelihood that, that that could happen. But, you know. Just another interesting uh, uh, element here to this game. So uh, there are some other ones that are certainly maybe a, a little more interesting me, to me that are way off the radar. But for for uh, you know some I guess important reasons, it's it's uh, keep an eye on this one, especially if that final score gets out of hand. Yeah, this one is about a twenty-two point spread. Clemson is favored by twenty-two. Vatek, uh, the the over on this game is about sixty-six and a half to sixty-seven, depending on where you're getting it. Uh, I, I think that you know, as Nick mentioned, uh, fifty-five to seven in the realm of possibility, and I would say it's probably more likely that that is the score than it is a close game. Xavier, what what do you think uh, this game is going to look like? It's going to get ugly. Let's just let's just put it straight. Dabo is going to put the dogs on Virginia Tech. It is going to be an ugly affair. This is a guy in Dabo who has obviously complained in the past about how people think they play a cupcake schedule, how that goes into the fact that they get to the no, college football. No, not Dabo. He wouldn't complain about stuff. How they get to the college football playoff every year because of that the, the cupcake schedule. This is going to be an opportunity for him, once again, to you know show the rest of the country how good Clemson is. And on top of that, you know he'll tell his kids – that they want us out of the playoff. That's why they keep putting us at four. They want us. They want to put another SC team in. Yada yada yada. Rah rah rah. They're gonna try to go into Virginia Tech and beat the. He's got more conspiracy team. theories than Kirk Herbstreit. Yeah, he's up there. Uh, this is this is gonna be an ugly ball game. This is gonna be an ugly ball game. I think Clemson wins by at least thirty, if not, you know, if they if not a little bit more. They probably for respect reasons probably call off the dogs in the fourth quarter like they did last week against Pitt. We'll see if they do that this week against Virginia Tech. Obviously, they've got to win with style to stay in the top four. They've got Florida and Texas A&M breathing down their necks. And so they have to continue to win with style. And they're going to do that on Saturday. Look for Trevor Lawrence to be benched in the third quarter like he was last week. That's how much they'll be up by. Clemson in a huge win over Virginia Tech. Big route. Xavier's mm-hmm. got it as a big route. Uh, all right. Well, that is all the games. And I forgot to mention this before, Nick. How did the uh, how did the picks go for last? Oh week? yeah, <laughs> uh, it was a solid week. It was uh, overall, and, and we do project our our official uh, number against the spread each week. And then we have been for the first time uh, this year, we've been doing totals uh, over and under on on every game using our statistical model, and and those have been absolutely 
red hot on, on fire. I, I hesitate to even mention it because I, <laughs> I just think we're getting lucky each week because I know that, that we're, uh, there's some work that needs to be done on, on uh, totals that are above 65 and that are below 50. We just, we're always on over if it's, if it's below 50, we're always on under if it's above 65. So I've got some work to do there, but everything in the middle and even some of those, I guess we're, we're running really hot. Last week we were 30 and 14 on totals at 68%. Uh, we are for the season 58.1% on totals, which is, I would, I would absolutely love to, to, you know, stay there. Uh, and I think that might tick down a little bit, but, you know, hopefully we'll continue to, to run well uh, there as well. Against the spread, we were 24 and 20, uh, so 54.5%. So we were 61.4% for all uh, sides, uh, you know, against the spread and totals last week. So really, really solid week. We've, we've had a, a good – we had a really, really good – November, uh, we are at uh, almost 54% against the spread for the entire year. And for all picks together, we're at uh, 56% on the dot. So I uh, feel very proud about that. feel good about that. Uh, when all three of our numbers agree, we've been uh, really good, as I mentioned. And, and I was very, very nervous about those a few weeks ago. I think that the overall uh, official projection is – one I trust a little bit more if that one shows a, a bigger edge compared to whether or not they just all three line up. Uh, and that's kind of the case this week. I, I don't love, I'm pretty much, I hate all of our all three uh, agrees this week. I, I mentioned Indiana plus 14. Just don't feel great about that. Cause they don't have a, a you know, a backup quarterback, right? Kansas plus 27 and a half. Kansas hasn't, uh, hasn't won a game against the spread all year. Not only have they not won a game, they have not won a game against the spread all year. So 27 and a half, Texas Tech, that, you know, sure. <laughs> yeah, I just, I don't feel great about that. I mean, it's a big number. Sure. They could, they could cover it, I guess. Memphis is an underdog against Tulane, which I don't understand. Our numbers all have Memphis favored and, and our official projection hasn't favored by like four and a half. Uh, I know that actually Tulane's got a better team performance rating this year, but Memphis, I think, is the better team. So that one scares me a ton. Penn State minus 11 against Rutgers. Penn State got its first win last week. All our numbers have them favored by basically two touchdowns. So seems like they should be able to to beat Rutgers pretty easily, but Rutgers has been – uh, you know, has, has been uh, improved, is improved. Liberty plus 11. We talked about that. I basically hate that one. Uh, Troy minus four and a half. I don't love. Boston College plus four. I feel better about that. I felt a lot better about it when it was six and a half when uh, Phil Dracovic was uh, listed as questionable. Sounds like he's more probable. That's down to four. So we lost a little bit of value there officially, but I uh, feel better about that. Uh, one I absolutely hate, New Mexico plus 17 and a half. Uh, against Wyoming because New Mexico is down to its fourth string quarterback, a walk-on freshman, I believe, walk-on redshirt freshman at quarterback. Uh, but our numbers, just, I mean, Wyoming, we talk about teams that, that you know, uh, don't recruit well. Wyoming ranks like 135th in, in uh, talent, uh, according to the 247 Sports 
uh, roster, their, their whole thing. Uh, they, do, they calculate a little bit different than we do, and, and they've had some some players that are able to add some production, but just pure talent uh, from high school recruiting and, and JUCO guys. They rank outside of the the top 130, but still, you know, our numbers can't can't catch up. So New Mexico plus 17 and a half, South Carolina plus 11 and a half against Kentucky. I feel better about that. Kentucky. You know my I don't I don't love Kentucky. Yeah, we and, know. Uh, our we numbers know. Have, have I think been pretty good. Uh have had a good read on Kentucky this year. We don't love South Carolina and they've got a ton of problems as well, but 11 and a half is a lot of points. And Kentucky should Kentucky be favored by double digits against anybody but Vanderbilt? I'm not so sure. So I I do feel better about that one. Uh but uh you know, Oregon State plus 11, they're playing a backup quarterback. Don't you know? I, I I would like that if the quarterback were were there, but you know, guys had one career snap, and it was the the uh, sneak that won the game against Oregon. So good one if you're going to have it. But uh, Oregon minus ten, I would feel good about that. But Oregon's been a real underachiever this year, and uh, have not quite played up to the level. Of course, they had a ton of guys uh, opt out and leave early for the NFL draft that they were expecting to have, especially in the secondary. Uh, but you know, and they've had some injuries as well, and, and so I don't, I don't love that one. Uh, Oregon minus ten, and then, or I mean, LSU twenty nine and a half. <laughs> I, I basically, <laughs> basically hate that one. Uh, I, I hated it, you know, last week when LSU was fourteen and a half against Texas A and M, and they got a garbage touchdown to uh, to to you know sneak in there. But the guy that caught it, Terrence Marshall, is the latest guy to opt out. At LSU, so twenty nine and a half, and then Alabama. We just we just can't, I guess, get a, a, a power rating high enough on Alabama. So uh, we're on. You know, all three agree against the Crimson Tide. I think it's three weeks in a row now. Don't feel great about it, but twenty nine and a half is a lot of points. So yeah, who knows? You're gonna have to get those bonuses like they have in Madden, right, Xavier, where you can get up over a hundred and six and stuff like that, <laughs> and get up to one twenty. So you can get a fifty-point bonus. Oh God! Uh, I, I don't know. I, I even you know I I make picks uh, for the NFL every single week uh, on my Line Star show with Joe Pizzapia, and those big lines just get me every time. Obviously, it's way different in the NFL than it is in college, but it, it's hard to bet someone by thirty points by uh, thirty-five points, and in the NFL, it's hard to bet someone by more than ten. You know anybody? Uh, you know you keep betting on the chiefs to smoke these teams and they keep winning by three. You know what I mean? So uh, it's uh, looking at those big lines is always difficult, but uh, you know, it was a, it was a big point of emphasis for me this off season because yeah. by the, the way I initially set, excuse me, set everything up. I, I mentioned that our talent model is, is heavy on the underdogs and that's probably never going to change. I, I have an idea of something to do to make that a little bit better the projection the the stats only model has been our best model this year so i i don't necessarily see that changing uh a, a ton i think i'm going to blend kind of that a little bit more into the overall one anyway we can talk about that during the offseason but <laughs> I, I a big point of emphasis was hey how can i make it so that an alabama is going to cover a big number because they do a lot. I mean, these numbers are big for a reason and they look, you know, 29 and a half. Yeah. Oh man. That's more than four touchdowns. LSU defending national champion. They, they should be able to cover that. 
but there's a reason it's 29 and a half. So, you know, I, 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 uh, we still haven't gotten there, I guess, for, for Alabama, but uh, yeah, it's, I, you know, fine. We'll take them. We'll take 29 and a half and hopefully they'll win, you know, 28 and a half or something. Get fired in the third quarter and just give it to Najee Harris a couple times. All all subs, all all subs. That's fine. Uh, All right. Well, that is going to wrap it up for us. Uh, remember, you can find us on the Twitter at Bogman Sports for me, at CFP Winning Edge for Nick, at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E for Xavier. Uh, good luck in all your bets. We'll be back here again next week to discuss the breakdowns and any conspiracy theories that Kirk Herbstreet has. Uh, uh, those are always fun, too. I got, I got a nice big eye roll from Nick on that one, but that is going to wrap it up for us. Good luck, everybody. We will see you next week. Take it easy. You can support this podcast on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash CFB winning edge and pledge as little as $5 per month to support the show and receive access to written content each week, including our matchup graphics, talent edge projections, and winners, all published before the podcast each week.